welcome to the Medical Menemist Podcast, your source for memory techniques and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. So here we go with our fourth section of this recap mini-series. Last week, we added in another great interview with time and efficient learning expert Ian Gibbs, and now we're coming back to our second episode on mnemonics and accelerated learning. With so much great material to discuss on the topics of visualizations and memory palaces, this recap is really going to bring you the most valuable information from last year. We've also had a couple more positive ratings and reviews for both this podcast and for our book, Read This Before Medical School. So I really want to thank you for taking the time to do this. It means a lot to me personally, and it really helps others find this show and the book by seeing that you find value in the material. We've made it extremely easy for everyone to leave a book review if they wish to, and that's by going to freemeded.org slash book review. One word, book review. And you can use the links on that page to take you to the review section of wherever you may have purchased the book, or on Goodreads if you haven't purchased it. I also missed a couple of podcast reviews from Apple Podcasts, so I wanted to give a quick shout out to two more of them. Try another nickname 756 says, quality interviews that help with understanding, memorization, learning, and related techniques. Well, simple to the point. Thank you. Try another nickname 756. And another one, I think this is VitAngela0770, V-I-T Angela. This is a nice break in studying for pants. That's the physician assistant board exam that they have to study for. Motivating and inspiring, shared with my study group. Thank you so much, Angela. This material is great for everyone in medicine, medical students, PA students, nursing, anyone that has to remember large quantities of information. And I really, really appreciate it if you share it with your classmates, with your study groups, even with some of your instructors, because they might not know some of the efficient study materials that we cover here. Now, since we've had so many great interviews about these topics in the past, we do have to break up the last section on memory palaces a little bit once again. So we're going to start off with visualizations here, our visual markers, go into the linking method or journey method a little bit, and then start off with an introduction of memory palaces before continuing on next episode with the gritty details and the advanced topics of memory palaces. So let's find a place to start off. And here's some very simple advice from Alex Mullen from Mullen Memory. Go with kind of the first image you think of. The other day, someone came to me with the image. It was 2550. To me, I just sort of broke that down into 25 and then 50. So you, I, I did basically just my image for it was just a step. So you just go from 25 to 50, you just kind of step up. And then once you kind of do a little bit of space retrieval practice on that, it should stick pretty well. And I think, you know, that general rule of just using space retrieval practice generally works well for numbers. This is advice you'll hear from a lot of mnemonics trainers and mnemonists and memory champions is just go with the first image that pops in your head, the first thing you can think of. But also, if you add different things to it, personal things, emotions, and past experiences, it can really strengthen your experience and your memory for the long term. In terms of, of what you're doing when you're using memory techniques is, is in general, you're taking something that's really complex, foreign, difficult, and trying to make it easy, right? For your brain to just soak up, right? So there's certain things that your brain just naturally wants to remember, you know, that childhood memory where you were in bliss, right? Having an ice cream on a sunny day, for whatever reason, you remember that memory, like the back of your hand or the flip side, right? Where you had the most 
tragic or traumatic experience in your life, you probably remember tons of detail about that versus the everyday grind where you're doing almost the same thing every day, going to class, going to work, whatever. Those aren't so memorable because they're all about the same thing. Nothing really sets it apart. There's no real emotional uniqueness to it. So when you're memorizing these complicated drug names or symptoms of of a disease or whatever you have to do in, in med school, a lot of them deal with very complicated words a lot of information that's kind of number-based or very science-y words, that stuff is stuff you just naturally absorb. So it's all about trying to take that stuff and come up with some weird emotionally charged marker or picture um, so that's easier to remember. I like to think of things that are very emotionally charged. So I like to make things funny, sad, grotesque, things that evoke a reaction, a reaction from me internally. By making our visuals happy or sad or frightening or something that is really personal to us, something that sticks out, it'll increase our long-term retention. And as Alex said, we're also going to add these mnemonics and these visuals to our spaced repetition. So we'll go over them a few times and strengthen those memories. Now, for those that might be a little newer to this program, to our show, and to these topics we're covering, let's do a recap of something that Howard Berg said in one of our earlier episodes, in episode five and six. And he gives us a starting place to start off with our first mnemonics. And this can be in the form of something simple like a peg system, where we convert numbers into images for longer-term retention and association. I want you to remember pole, shoes, tricycle, car, glove, gun, dice, skate, cat, and bowling pins. Is it safe to say you don't know all 10 objects backwards and forwards effortlessly at this point? I hate to admit it because this is a podcast about memory and I have a technique to remember that, but I'm just too tired to remember it right now. (laughs) One of the strategies for memory, and there are many, I have a whole memory program, is take a list you know and link it to a list you're learning. The Greeks discovered this. When you think of hangers in closets, we hang things on them. Well, I know you know the numbers from one to 10, and they're hanging in your memory, and we can hang the 10 things you just learned on those effortlessly to remember them in just minutes. So the first thing we're gonna look is the number one looks like a pole, correct? So one is pole, what's one? One pole. By the way, you want to say and do. You only remember 10% of what you read, 90% of what you say and do. That's a big tip right there. Two, how many shoes do you wear? Two shoes. What's two? Two is shoe. What's one? One is pole. Three, tricycle. How many wheels are on a tricycle? Three wheels. What's three? (laughs) Three is tricycle. Two. Two is shoe. One. One is pole. Now, you can use something like this just to start off with, to build creativity, get used to creating visual mnemonics and associating non-visual topics normally to visual images. I have my own set of PEG images that I use, and I've covered them in past episodes. There's also the free PDF from our book, Read This Before Medical School, that you can download that has a chart with my PEG system and a few other memory charts to use. You can download this for free at freemeded.org slash med student. Now, a lot of students, when they start off, they think this is a cool topic to discuss. It's really cool to see other people do it, but I'm not that creative. I can't do this myself. And actually, I hear this in my tutoring sessions as well. So here's some great advice from Brian and Aaron Lemieux of Sketchy Medical. 
First of all, like trust your visual and creative instincts. Like I think a lot of people get too hard on themselves because they don't think they know how to draw or they don't think that a stick figure on the side of their notes is worth the time. But you'll be totally surprised by if you draw a stick figure and if, if the little sword you put in his hand means the same thing each time, like you can totally use that to your advantage. But um, my friends were already, already using some of these techniques and they would print out like a Picasso painting and assign each of like the features on this woman's face to a different pathology. They like put a bird on her shoulder for like a, a, a like something else. And um, so even if you can't do it yourself, like there are also other ways you can do it. like print out some cool, like well, whatever your favorite painting is, or whatever your moving is like print out a scene from it and just like assign topics to that character in your favorite movie. And it's super helpful and it's really fun. And it's kind of makes the scene unforgettable. Like I picked colors that I associate with organ systems. So I could like quickly flip through my notes and I see different colors and like jump out to me, like which organ systems are affected. Like there are totally a bunch of different ways you can use color and characters to your advantage. When you can go through a topic in your mind and it sticks because it's so, there's this emotional attachment and you can always go back to that and you, then you start remembering. You're like, oh yeah, he made that weird reference to Blade <laughs> Runner. That was, that was weird. One of the hardest parts of, re- of like thinking on your feet and recalling information is just getting to that part of your brain, like where it's stored. Once you're there, it's like, you know your stuff. Like you've seen it so many times now. You just let it flow, do your thing. The hardest part is often just when you're sitting there going, uh, I, uh, uh, and you're like, you're not yeah. even thinking of anything. You're just like completely blank and you don't even know where to go in your brain. It's that door in front of you is closed and you can't yeah, figure out how to, to open just it. Just get into a scene, something in your mind, a folder, a, a page in a, in a book to get to that is the most important step. After that, it's then, then you're finally relaxed and you get to show people what you know. Thinking like, broadly, thinking how, yeah. how things connect to each other across topics makes it stick. And mm-hmm. it makes it so every time it comes back, you're like, oh yeah, that thing. And you just remember its backstory. Yes, every single sure time you see it, all the other information about it is also reinforced. Yeah. So it's kind of like it, it's its own repetition, even though it looks like it's new, it's not. Thinking back to my personal notes during basic sciences, I can relate here a lot. I didn't utilize these techniques. I didn't really know about them back then. And at least the bits that I did, I didn't know how to use properly. I did use color schemes for different drugs or enzymes or diseases. So I could tell by looking at my page, my notes, what was associated to what by the colors. But adding those to your visuals could be a very big benefit later on as well. And like they say here, you don't need to be an artist. You don't need to draw out these graphic representations that are elaborate. You just need some sort of visual in your head, something that you can personally pop into internally, find the scene, and then start remembering all the other details associated with it. And just like Alex Mullen said earlier, adding this into your space repetition system, recalling it multiple times, will just help strengthen all of the associations that you've created. But you notice we haven't gotten to the memory palace yet. And as Brad Zupp will explain, the memory palace is a storage unit, but you need to make the associations first, these visuals first, then you can store it later. Really, the the memory palace technique is is actually an association technique. You have the memory palace is the the storage vessel. So kind of like the the box for the eggs. You've got to have the eggs to put in it. So to make the eggs, you you have to be good at associating. And to associate, you have to be good at translating. So if you want to translate 
you know, the, the bones of the hand or any any medical thing. The trick isn't necessarily the memory palace. The trick is going, how am I going to remember, I use a foreign language word, how am I going to remember that neko in Japanese is cat? And it's the same thing with especially medical terminology or you have to memorize the drug names or anything like that. It's these things that really don't mean anything in our lives that we have to take and make memorable. So the particular skill, I think, is how to translate something you don't know how to remember into something that makes sense and is memorable. If you can take 20 seconds and create this bizarre image, you connect those two. So that's a bridge to when you actually speak the foreign language perfectly or when you know the medical terminology because you're a doctor and you've just learned it. All really these memory techniques are are bridges until you actually know something. You know, we use a memory technique to remember someone's name until they're our friend. We don't have to go, okay, I look at your face. We go, okay, what's memorable about his face? How am I going to remember his name? is No, you're my friend, so I just remember your name or you're a doctor, you just remember the bones of the hand. So all these are bridges until you know something. So I think the particular skill is that association and being creative enough to translate something that you look at this word and go, I don't know what this word is, but I got to memorize it because I'm going to be a doctor and I need to know this and translate it into something that makes sense to you. So even though we discuss the memory palace a lot in this show, maybe we should take a step back. In fact, this is something that some of my tutoring sessions have enlightened is that I might not focus as much on creating the initial associations, the initial visuals, and how to make them stick better with each other and get that creative spark going first. And since these act as a bridge, if you've already memorized something, if you're already very familiar with a particular topic, you don't need to go back and create visuals for them. You don't need to create extra work for yourself. That seems to be a common misconception. But use them, especially for topics that you continuously struggle with, that you keep getting wrong, that you have to create multiple flashcards for because of the confusing aspects of it or its similarities to something else. These are definitely topics that you can use these visual associations with. We'll come back to the memory palace aspect in a little bit. But first, let's get some last-minute advice from Lev Golden Touch and what you need in order to create great visuals and why these are important for speed reading as well. Uh, we definitely encourage the person to be focused. And uh, this is something a person has to do with himself or herself. So uh, during the initial uh, interview, which is like uh, two paragraphs in mail, I ask the person to describe his uh, interests and his goals. And uh, if those are not sufficiently interesting or not sufficiently inspiring, I kind of push into the right direction. And from there, it's his uh, own uh, work to, it's hard work to to do all of the training that needs to be done. Well, we often start with visualization because visualization allows uh, so many different tricks. Uh, not all of them uh, have to do with uh, speed reading or mnemonics. Some of them are different psychological techniques which uh, really help in uh, real life situations. I am personally working on, uh, on a new course which uh, kind of uh, builds upon this aspect of visualization. 
but uh, most of our materials have to do with using visualization for learning. So we started with visualization. Once a person is uh, capable of visualizing, uh, this visualization is used to create different funny or otherwise memorable images. Once those images are covered, we start more systematic approach, going into some memory techniques, which kind of uh, evolved. I started with memory packs and mind maps, and now I'm recommending PAO and mind palaces. And in my courses, there are some very unique methods that were developed by me, like mental cities and mental forests. For a full description of how Lev memorizes a million items using his memory cities and mind forests, you can check out episodes 33 and 35. We also had the brothers from Sketchy Medicine in episode 17, Howard Berg in 6, Nelson Dulles in episode 4, and Alex Mullen and Kathy Chen in episodes 2 and 3. Now, before we get into the memory palace aspect of this episode, there is one sort of bridging method, an alternative method can be used in conjunction with a memory palace or as a separate topic altogether. And this is called the linking method or the journey method or the story method. It goes by a lot of names. So here's Nelson Dellis to explain what the linking method is and how we can use it. I mean, coming up with the visual markers is, is one step and then the rest is, is how you store it, which you, know, you might place it in a memory palace or use some kind of linking, connecting the images together in a sequence so that you can remember the order. But for example, um, Washington would be your first president. So I come up with a marker for Washington. So I would think of like washing machine uh, with a ton of apples in there. And why the apples? Well, because I connect it to Adams, which reminds me of an Adams apple. Okay, so I kind of combine those two presidents in one kind of connected image. So we have the washing ton and then apples, Adams apple. So there's Washington and Adams. Right, and then out of the washing machine, you pull those. Uh, who's pulling out the apples? It's the chef, Jefferson. There's Jefferson, and um, and so on and so on. Okay, so just going from washing machine, apples in the washing machine, someone taking the apples out. You have the first three presidents right there, and a quick dynamic visual marker that's easy to stick. Yeah, and that's that's using the linking method there where i'm connecting one image to the next and that image to the next mm -hmm. um it's one kind of solidified chain of images that helps you get the order straight i would say that previously i really underestimated the power of the linking method i associated it more with certain processes with chronological orders or biologic processes such as biochemistry reactions but really this is something that can be adapted for any aspect of your visual mnemonics, of your visualizations, because it doesn't have to represent an actual order of something like this enzyme plus this enzyme equals that substrate. It can just be a linking of chunks of material that are related to each other. You can link all the different cardiac side effects of a drug together, for instance. And this chunking, this grouping becomes very important for making strong visuals later on, as Ron Robertson of Pygmonic will elaborate here. But again, if you're creating this for yourself and you go through the active process of doing so, you're going to have better memory retention for that topic than someone else who's consuming it. But one thing I would say is chunking and grouping becomes very important. You know, if I've got a set of symptoms versus the mechanism of action versus indications, whatever those things are, chunking and grouping is very helpful to put them even in the same spatial location within the image. 
the flow from one character to the next, again, having this interaction that ties to some sort of storyline is very important. There's lots of little things that people can do once they've honed in on how to make these. But it's really, uh, it's supposed to be a creative journey. And I think that's part of the fun. And it really is fun. It can be a little stressful at times, especially when you're just starting off. And you might think, I'm not creative enough to make these. I used to think that all the time. It just comes with a little practice. And medicine's very diverse, so it might be a little bigger learning curve than it is for some other topics like language learning. Okay, now we've discussed creating our visualizations, our visual markers. We've also discussed how we can link different things together. We can chunk them into groups. We can add them in chronological orders if necessary, or just group by similar topics. We can use these independent of each other and use space repetition to remember our visuals longer. Or, as we're going to find out, we can start adding these into memory palaces to really solidify and make sure we're not forgetting independent areas of information or independent visuals. But according to Daniel Keeloff, there's one big mistake that a lot of students make, and that's making the stories too elaborate, too realistic, trying to follow a story plot line. And that's not the purpose of this type of method. This is actually probably the biggest one. One is that they tend to make stories that are, in some real sense, stories. If you give someone a list who's just starting out with memory techniques, often what they'll do is they'll try and create a, a kind of fairly rich narrative where like, they'll latch onto the first item on the list and that becomes like the main character of the story. And then sort of everything, the story they'll tell is of this character going on and interacting with these other items in the list. Now, the, the problem with this is that, well, there are lots of problems. One is that stories have a whole lot of features that a good mnemonic shouldn't have or doesn't need at the very least. They have internal consistency. They have plot arcs. They have recurring characters, recurring elements. Now, if you're trying to keep track of all of these things, then that's going to be additional load on your cognitive resources. And at a certain point, if you're trying to keep track of all of these things all at once, it's going to basically mean that you're going to hit a hard limit. Well, you're going to hit a limit of kind of how much you can, how long your sort of or sophisticated or complex your networks or chains of associations can be. Again, if you're brand new to this or you want to see any of our materials from our book, Read This Before Medical School, you can download our charts and tables PDF, our essentials of PDF for free by going to freemeded.org slash medstudent. And that'll be a great place to start off if you're struggling with these. You can also always reach out to me on social media or through email, medicalnemonist at gmail or any of our free med ed emails on the website. We do have our one minute preceptor page pretty much finished on the website now. Everything's been a little chaotic the past few weeks as we're trying to revamp the website. The medical anemonist page is still in some process of being completed, but do go check that out at freemeded.org slash podcast and then click on the one minute preceptor podcast. You can also download this on your podcast player of choice. So let's start off with creating memory palaces and what it is and what are the long-term effects from Alex Mullen and Kathy Chen of Mullen Memory. I mean, so the basic technique that we kind of built the site around is, is something called the memory palace technique. So essentially, essentially, just to kind of start at the most basic level, what, what you're doing with memory techniques just generally, you know, is you want to take whatever you want to memorize or learn and turn it into some kind of mental picture. And so the picture represents that information and that is helpful because, you know, pictures are just much more easily remembered by, by the brain than, you know, kind of random facts or, or um, you know, words or things like that. So the, the goal is kind of get to get everything into some sort of representative picture. And then, you know, where the memory palace comes in is that you imagine some sort of physical space that you're familiar with. So it could be your, 
you know, the house you grew up in, the house you live now, you know, any kind of residences that you've had it could be college campus, your med school campus, basically any, any space that you're familiar with. And you try to think of some sort of, you know, path, a mental journey through that place. And then, so as you learn, you know, material, you can you know, turn that information into images and then kind of deposit those images along that mental path in the memory palace. Um, and so that's, it, it works because, you know, one, like I said, you know, humans visual memory is very strong. Um, and so those pictures kind of tend to stick with you a little bit better um, than, than they would otherwise. And then also people's navigational memory and spatial memory is super strong as well. So, you know, you know, you're able to kind of remember those roots through these memory palaces very easily. And then also, you know, having the memory palace kind of in the background for the images provides an extra hook that, or an extra cue that kind of helps you, you know, hold on to that information as well. I, th- I will say, I think like one way um, these memory techniques have really influenced our med school experience is Alex and I took a gap year between our second and third years of med school. And we really didn't touch our textbooks or our notes too much during the year. I mean, we did review a little bit, but not too much. And I think the ease with which we were able to transition back to our clinical studies is, I think, honestly, for me, I think definitely in part due to the effort we took to make good memory palaces and really study well. You know, we have basically a brainstormed set of of palace ideas um, that we kind of add to periodically. Like location. Right. So, you know, I have a, a spreadsheet where I, you know, I, I'm just, I, I've, I've written down, you know, hundreds of possible palaces like my house, you know, my parents' house, my brother's apartment, this restaurant, that restaurant. And I just had this kind of list of all these different places that I could use potentially as palaces. So if you want to remember longer, then utilize these memory palaces like they do. And as you heard, it really decreased their studying later on. It takes longer to build them initially, but the amount of time you'll save in reviewing material is well worth it later on. And create a list of different palaces that you can use. Like they said, create an Excel sheet or table in a word processor. And then you can use this instead of trying to think of a new palace every time you have to add something somewhere. So here's a quick example from Alex. You know, this is one of the kind of benefits of doing this sort of process of creating palaces as you go, you know, so sort of the, you know, not kind of a priori creating palaces, but doing it as you're learning the material. I think this is helpful because when you do that and you don't have predetermined loci, what you can do is after the fact, just come back to that same room. You know, let's just say I'm using my childhood bedroom to remember stuff about Staph aureus. If I come back and I learn something new about Staph aureus, I can just pick a new location, a little spot in that room that I haven't used already and just add a new image you know, for staff aureus in that room. And so it's still very nicely contained in that staff aureus space in my mind. That's kind of what I do is I'll just pick a new location in, a, in the place that I've already, you know, used for that information. Yeah, I think what Alex is trying to say is like, we don't use a very regimented like methodology for saying like, the first thing I'm going to lay down is the name of it. The second thing I'm going to lay down is the shape of it or something. We don't do that. At least I don't do that because I'm just trying to remove all the barriers for myself or like kind of getting the information in my head um, just to kind of think of the first thing I think of and then just laying it down and then kind of moving on. One thing I have done in a more like regimented categorical way is sometimes I'll use categories to remember things. So like everything that's like steroid related, you know, I'll use like a character from some show or, you know, from some book that I like. And as I've said before, I think where Alex differs from a lot of mnemonics trainers and my personal tactics and a lot of medical students probably is memory champions have to remember things very quickly, 
limited time, limited planning, no planning half the time. So he is very used to throwing things about in an unorganized or unplanned fashion, and that works for him. And if that works for you, awesome, use it. If you like to plan them out as I do, or as our previous discussion with Yifan Zhao from Osmosis, then plan them out, draw them out, pick how many stations you're going to have in each palace, in each macro station within your palace or room, and then how many micro stations or settings you're going to place these visuals on. You can go very structured or very unstructured, depending on what works best for you. This is something that Anthony Mativier talks about from the magnetic memory method and why he believes that these memory palaces are so useful for long-term retention and association of materials. There's a reason why I think the memory palace is the place to start, and that's because it uses spatial memory and autobiographical memory together in a very special way that enables you to use all the other memory techniques that will use many other levels of your existing memory so that you don't have to invent a bunch of new stuff all the time. You could throw all kinds of stuff at me and I can do elaborate encoding of it, which is a term for creating mental imagery. And it really doesn't matter what the information is. People think that the information matters or that my information is special or my information is different. No, it's not. It, it doesn't have anything to do with the information. Think of it this way. A fishing rod and a hook really doesn't have that much to do with the act of fishing. Now, you might need a certain weight of fishing line and you might want you know, bigger hooks for bigger fish, right? But at the end of the day, the actual basic raw mechanics of fishing doesn't care about the fish, right? It's just a tool with relation to the information. So the variations are very, very small. And that's the number one tip that I would have for medical students is don't think that there's anything special about your information. There isn't. It's just information. Memory techniques are just memory techniques. Bring the two together and learn how to use them and you will succeed. So if you're one of those students that have said, this technique sounds really cool, but it's not really useful for medicine, you might want to think again. This technique can be used for anything. And one of the keys, according to Anthony Mativier, is just to practice. You have to make as many of these palaces as you can early on. Work out the kinks. Work out the best techniques for you. The cure for forgetting is to create memory palaces, to use them, and then you know rack and stack these images appropriately based on the fact that they're already there. You're just rearranging them in space. And then explain to your brain what it is that you're doing. And that's just a teaching tool, really, but it's not a systematic process other than, and here's another mistake that a lot of people make, is they try to do this with one memory palace, which is not my teaching. My teaching is to have multiple memory palaces. So create memory palaces in our cure, the C, means create memory palaces with an S. If you're just creating one memory palace, you're not even really going to understand what a memory palace is in the same way that someone who bakes one loaf of bread is not going to understand what baking bread is. You know, you've got to make multiple memory palaces and making multiple memory palaces will unlock deeper levels of your spatial memory as it explores your autobiographical memory. So I really mean create multiple memory palaces. Nelson Dellis, who you mentioned, he's on my podcast. He's mentioned how many that he has. I don't even know how many I have. I create them all the time. Like every week I go into some building that I wasn't in before. Boom, new memory palace. All the time, I think of another friend from school where we had lunch one time randomly and I have enough of their kitchen. Boom, another memory palace. Even if it's just as small as a kitchen, 
right? It's useful as an exercise just to create it as a memory palace in order to explore more of spatial memory. And, you know, you'd just be absolutely astonished by how much space you have in your head. But sometimes you've just got to get started and continue to do it. So that's the C. The U is to use them because a lot of people will create the memory palace and they'll never use it, right? (laughs) And so using this means that you take, I don't know, 10 parts of the body or 10 chemicals or 10 medicines, 10 side effects, whatever it is that you need to memorize. And you start at station one in your memory palace and you create some images. You'll learn this by doing. That's, that's a huge issue here. There's a lot, number of learning types. Some people need to know what something is. Some people need to know why something works the way that it does. Some people need to know how exactly everything works and they need to know, you know, all kinds of things. Some people are serial learners and so forth. All that's great to know about yourself, but at the end of the day, you're not really going to learn this unless you do it. So use is very, very important. Be very, very deliberate and precise in your placement of these images. You really want to think about where they are in the memory palace because you're going to go back and trigger them off. But review is important as well because another mistake that people make is they think this is like a set it and forget it technique. Well, it isn't. It's a set it and then revisit it as many times as is necessary in order to get it into long-term memory. How many times is it necessary? That's entirely up to you and your practice because you can reduce the number of repetitions that are needed the stronger that your imagery gets and the better you get with the skill. But then I would say, don't be too sure, don't be too sure, don't be too sure, which is uh, very important. And do as many repetitions as needed and a little bit more just to be sure. And then the E is to explain to yourself what was happening in that memory palace, which is what I formerly was meant as review for R. But explaining is a lot better because you want to think of yourself kind of as a theater director. It's not a movie. You're not replaying a movie. It's never going to be the same way twice. It's more like you're the theater director. Your memory palace is a stage and all these images that you create are actors and you just say action and they do things as they do. And as they are engaged in their action, you think, okay, radio, US sticker, ah, radius, right? And oh, that's that bone that they were breaking. That's where the radius is. And so that's got to be done as many times as necessary in order to get it into long-term memory. So again, Anthony Mativier here is saying to use your visuals multiple times to add them into your space repetition until they are in your long-term memory. And that's a key component that I think a lot of students overlook. So now let's look at how Yifan Zhao and Osmosis mix and match a little bit. They use memory palaces and mind maps together. We already discussed using the journey method or linking method and how We can potentially add that into mind maps. We'll go into a little bit more later on. But here are some tips about making your own visuals and adding mind maps to your design of the memory palace. We've been trying to make a couple of different improvements. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the sketchy or pygmonic style of memory palaces out there, you pretty much draw out a scene and then all the people and all of the items in the scene represent information that you want to learn. So one of the problems I have with watching their videos is the factual memorization component is great. And I can retain a lot of information after the first viewing compared to a standard lecture. But when they try to explain some of the concepts behind the fact where there's no illustration to back it up, that part can get a little bit, could be less engaging. 
Yeah, so another thing we're trying with our memory palaces is to base them on mind maps or concept maps. So mind maps are diagrams that help you organize information by showing you their relationship and hierarchy. So for example, we could make a mind map for cephalosporin antibiotics. Now the main image or the main idea in the middle of the mind map would be cephalosporin. And then each of the five generations of cephalosporins would be a sub-idea coming from the main idea. And then each of the sub-ideas, or each one of the generations, would have a list of bugs they treat and then a list of the drug names. So when we turn this into a memory palace, we could set up an apartment with five rooms. And each one of the rooms would contain the information for one of the generations. Research has indicated that making your own mind maps is actually a really important part of their benefit. So, you know, I would recommend viewers after watching the video, see if they can replicate the mind map based on what they remember instead of just trying to straight up memorize it. So creating your own mind maps, your own memory palaces, your own visuals is going to strengthen the memory and using the testing effect or rehearsal practice as it's otherwise known, this spaced repetition will help make sure you actually know the material and not just recognize it and think you know it. But what's a good step-by-step -step process we can follow? So if I was going over, say, the fluoroquinolones, I would look at my notes and I would notice that we have the older generations that treat a couple of specific bugs. And then we would have the newer generations which treat different bugs. So I'm going, okay, I would need two different rooms for these two Groups of, um, groups of drugs, right? So I would try to find two large rooms inside this house where I can place them based on how many bugs they have associated with them. So the one with more bugs, I would try to place into the larger room and then the one with less bugs into the smaller room. And then also I would look for how many different side effects do I need to remember and which room would I put this into. So it's kind of like the discussion we had on building the mind map, actually, right? Uh, you have to know while you're building it, you're kind of also assessing the hierarchy and the relationship between the different chunks of the information. One of the problems is, you know, getting the information into your head, right? Like the memorizing process. But the bigger problem is actually recall. If I just went over a textbook and then put everything into the room in the order they're presented to me, when it comes to recalling the information, I would have to trace through the whole room to find the information I need in that particular situation. So the effort of recall would be massively increased if I don't organize this in some type of logical fashion that makes sense to me. So when I was in medical school, I would go over lecture slides for 40 minutes where I highlight every key fact, and then I would use the memory palace technique to memorize them. Then I'd take 50 minutes to write out everything I remembered, and during the weekend, I would actually write out everything I remember during the week. So I would end up with a huge stack of notebooks filled with handwritten notes. So compared to listening to a lecture, it's astounding how much you can retain after using the memory palace technique. And as you keep using the technique, you start to cover more and more material in that same 40 minutes. And this also helps you identify all the info that you didn't remember. And you start finding the pattern of what images or associations works best for you. So this has helped to give a little bit of a roadmap on 
how to plan your memory palaces if you decide to use those for certain materials, and also how to test yourself and make sure that you know certain materials and how to focus on the weak points that you might be missing. Now, this has only been about half of the high-yield information that I want to get across from the interviews regarding memory palaces. This is just sort of the introduction to the actual palace, as we've been focusing a lot on visualizations and on the story method, which are also extremely important. In fact, getting those right before moving to the memory palace is a necessary step to making strong memory palaces later on. So now that we have a bit of an introduction to the memory palace, I think the next episode we're going to really focus on the high yield facts on advice, tips, tricks, and mistakes so that you can make very strong palaces for your future studies. If you are new to this material, there are show notes for this episode down below where you can check out our past episodes that were mentioned in this episode. You can listen to the full episodes and get more information from our great expert guests, or you can also schedule a tutoring session with me. You can do this very simply by going to freemeded.org tutoring. And if you don't want to do that quite yet, but you would like to see what some of the tutoring material might be, you can schedule a free consultation via the same link or join our first medical nemonist meetup. The link will be in the show notes, but go to freemeded.org meetup to register. And this is a free event for the first 25 tickets and only $10 after that. This will be a live presentation by me. We're going to try out this new system. And if it works out well, if you guys like the material and like this meetup, maybe we can schedule more regular sessions. So go to freemeded.org meetup to register now. The event will be held on March 20th. And of course, I don't want to leave you without a summarization of some of the key facts from this episode. And let's start off with associations, with these visualizations, visual markers, whatever you want to call them. These are the visual scenes and images that you're creating to replace or associate with material from your textbook and from your classes. And by making these personal and graphic and some emotional tone or color coordinated, you can really diversify your options when creating these visual images. You don't look at a picmonic or sketchy video and say, oh, that makes a lot of sense on your first go around. But by adding these visuals into your space repetition practice, they'll become ingrained with the associations that you need to remember and to bridge your knowledge with the actual practice of using these materials later on. You can also add chunks of information, and these chunks can be grouped together by using a story and adding all of the material in that chunk to the story. They could also be chunked within a memory palace, which we'll discuss more later on. And these visual images, if they're lone images or entire stories can be added to a memory palace later on as well. You can start off with simple visual creations like using the peg system, which we discussed earlier with Howard Berg, and that's just replacing a number with a visual so that you can remember longer strings of numbers. And that's just to help build your creativity a little. Practice with one of the easier techniques. Then you can start doing it with more complex topics in medicine, pharmacology names, associations of different physiological processes and equations and much, much more. And one last bit of information, if you haven't done so yet, we have gotten a few more likes on our Find a Rotation page. That's a sister organization to FreeMedEd, which brings you this show. If you trust us for your educational resources, hopefully you'll trust us also for your clinical experiences. So on that, I want to say study smart, be well, show your grit. You got this. I'll see you on the next episode.